of the walk. Wait, now, wait a second. I got, there was a, there was a woohoo for VBS and for camps, but you're all here for something. Okay, hey, we're going to start week three of the walk. Hey, there we go. I like that. Yeah, that's the way we should start. Small interruption. Uh, commercial. Uh, if you were here at our Beach Point update last week, we uh, talked a little bit about some of the changes we're making in our bylaws, and we want to present those to you. We're voting on them in two weeks, but there are copies in the lobby if you want to see both the original and the changes that are proposed. That's super exciting. Bylaws! Yeah, all right. Updated bylaws. Okay. Well, one of the hardest things to do as a parent with your kids is to teach them how to spot the real deal, something that is genuine, right? So I'm guessing some of you have experienced something like this. You're, you're in another room, your kid's watching cartoons, and you hear this kind of screaming that takes, Dad! 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 Get in here quick! You come running, your face is full of shaving cream. What is it? Who's dying? I need this! And it's a commercial for some toy or some, like this is the toy that's going to change, you know, your kid's life, the world uh, as we know it. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, how do I explain to my child advertising? How do I explain to my child that you have just been overpromised and you're about to be underdelivered on, right? I love this photo. So the photo on the left is the advertisement for the pool. The photo on the right is the pool. Okay, and so you're trying to figure out how do you explain to your child Photoshop and, and uh, 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 marketing and all these kinds of things that t- try to say, okay, so that's what they're advertising, but this is what you're going to get. And if I get this, I'm actually going to have to buy like a ticket machine like you see at the butcher shop where like someone pulls a number so that it's their turn to go in the pool because I can fit you, maybe your sister, but certainly no kids in the neighborhood. Uh, You have to teach your kids how to figure out the real deal, something genuine. When it comes to our faith, how do you know if you have the real thing? How do you know if you have the real deal? How do you know if your faith is genuine? Now, for a couple weeks, what we've been seeing is this is what the book of James is about. We're seeing that he is challenging people that he cares about, people that he's pastored, but he's trying to help them understand that an understanding, get an understanding of what does genuine faith look like? What is what does the real deal look like? How can you tell if someone has a faith that is alive? I mean, have you ever thought about this for yourself? Have you ever wondered for yourself? Uh, uh, these kinds of questions like, when did, when did my faith start? When did it begin? Uh, how, what does it take to be saved? How do I know that, that this is real in me? And James is going to challenge us to think a little bit about this, that we want to be able to tell how someone's faith is alive or dead. And uh, as he's doing that, what we're going to see is that I think the big idea really helps capture that for us today. And so here's our big idea that what we're going to see is, as he challenges, that a living faith shows itself through loving deeds. A living faith shows itself through loving deeds. That you know your faith is alive if it's accompanied by concrete actions. And, and the inverse is true as well, that if, if uh, we have a faith that maybe our faith isn't as alive as we think it is, maybe our faith is dead, if it is not accompanied by loving deeds. 
Now you may be thinking, wait a second. I thought we were saved by what we believe. Well, James is going to get into that. So let me invite you to turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we're going to be in verse, start in verse 14. If you need a Bible there right in front of you, page uh, 1,217. Now let me just remind you a little bit, if, you, if you're new with us, catch you up a little bit. James is the younger brother of Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus. He did not follow Jesus during his earthly ministry. But when Jesus rose from the dead, one of the people he made it a point to appear to was his brother James. James not only became a follower of Jesus, he became a leader for Jesus. He was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And when a persecution, when this first persecution broke out in Jerusalem over the church, that uh, we, we read about how many of the Jewish believers were, were dispersed. They were scattered all over the region. So this is years later. James is writing very pastorally. It's a very, it's a loving letter, but it's one of those tough love letters. And so you're going to see a lot of language, brothers and sisters. Like he, it's like, hey, I love you. But we got to talk. We got to talk about something that's really important. And so we see that there's a, there's a hard tenderness to, to what James is doing. And so we want to receive it that way. We want to know that he's going to, he's going to press on us today. He's going to make us think about some things that, that are going to make us think about uh, authenticity and genuineness. Now, this is really important to us because this is our mission to develop you into an authentic follower of Jesus. And we're going to see how important this is to James as well. Uh, so let's start in verse 14. We read these words. Uh, he says this. Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the, the demons believe that and shudder. Now put your finger there. We'll stop there for a second because he's just, there's some, there's some stuff you have to unpack before we get too far into this. Now the first thing that we want to see, there's two things I want you to see here today. But the first thing I want you to see that we discover about a living faith is this. It is, a living faith is not just about information, but transformation. A living faith is not just about information, but about transformation. Now, James is going to do something very interesting. Uh, if, if you look at just those few verses, he is going to try to describe for us and break down for us what faith is. And he's going to do that by describing three different kinds of faith. He, he, he really wants to clarify what he means by faith. And so as we see this kind of uh, this struggle going on about faith and actions, he wants you to understand, okay, let's talk about different kinds of faith and if they're really faith at all. And so the first faith that we see him describe is what we might call dead faith. So James does not say if someone has faith. Notice what he says, if someone claims to have faith. He begins to describe this person who claims to have faith, but it really lives, it's just intellectual. It's just about they believe certain things to be true, but it has no real transformation over the person's life. So they're claiming with their mouth that they have faith, it doesn't show up, though, in their life. And, uh, and so as we look at this, uh, notice what James is challenging. He's saying, he's asking this rhetorical question. He's saying, do we think this is real faith? 
Do we think this is the kind of faith that saves a person if they just believe these right things? And in James' mind, agreeing to the right information does not create living faith. It's a shell. And as we'll see, he kind of, uh, he talks about it being dead. It's like a corpse. Uh, a, few, uh, a few nights ago, I was called late at night. Anytime I'm called late at night, it's never good. And so the call was to come down to the hospital uh, that a woman had passed away. They, they didn't have access to a pastor. Could I come and pray with them? And so I, I went down there, came and, and entered into the room uh, to pray with the family. Now, some of you have experienced this, that when you walk in a room when someone has passed and you were looking at their body, it's not them. It, it's like you're, you're looking at a shell. And, and so we had this moment and I'm, I was talking to the husband and I was asking him to tell me some information about his wife and tell me a little bit more about her. And he began to share about this life. And, and the more he shared about who she was, this godly woman, and the life of, of love and faith and obedience and all these, the dynamic person that she was, it became more and more apparent, that, apparent to me that what I was looking at was not the person, but the shell of the person. Uh, that, that she was gone, she was with the Lord, and left behind was this, this shell. And this is what James is getting at. He's saying, it, it, you, know, you know what I'm saying? The people that kind of say the right things or say they believe these right things, it's like looking, it's like, it's like a shell of a faith. It's not real. It's not the real thing. I know you're looking at it and th- saying, well, it seems like enough, but it's, you know it's not enough. And he's trying to help us see there's a difference between genuine faith and bogus faith. What do dead people do? Not a trick question. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Okay? And he's saying, that's kind of like dead faith, right? They don't serve. They don't love. They don't care. They don't give. They don't, they don't do the things that real faith would do. And so there's, there's a deadness to them, right? So let's, he's saying, he's challenging them. Let's not think of this as real faith. If you think about... Uh, well, you think about our country, and the percentage is always really high when people are polled, do you believe in God? And we always see that the percentages come out probably a lot higher than we always expect. But then I think the reason we're uncomfortable with it is it seems like there's disconnect, doesn't there, between what people say they believe and the way that we behave. It doesn't seem like they're consistent. The same thing is true of our region here, right here, Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley. Ken and I have done some, some uh, demographic study of it, and we find that very similar things that we see, that there's high level of intellectual agreement, but basically there's a, a, an understanding or, or admittance that it really doesn't affect my life. People haven't had a problem saying that. It really doesn't change the way I live or change the way I do things. And James is saying, friends, do we think that's really faith? Would you, would you really want to call that faith? And is that the kind of faith he would suggest? Do we think that's the kind of faith that saves a person? And so he begins to challenge these things. So Paul, when he wrote to Titus, who was a young pastor, he said this. He said, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit uh, for anything good. And the challenge. They say one thing, but they do another. This is just not how God wants it. So uh, one commentator did this. I thought it was interesting. He created this little chart, this table. And so we might start looking at the chart this way. Uh, he says this, dead faith checks the, the box of intellect. It, it, intellectually, 
It believes the right things, check, check the box. But then notice also in this that he talks about a demonic faith. He, he, he compares, there's a kind of faith that he says is the kind of faith that demons have. And it's a little different. Now, what he's about to do, he is pulling an ace out of his sleeve to make his point. Years ago, we were at a high school camp uh, and we brought in this new leader. His name was Vic. Uh, great guy, but he was like my age now. He's like, like uh, mid to late 40s at the time. He had two kids that had gone through the high school group. And so he was coming in. He's not the young, cool college guy. And so I could tell the, the students were a little put, you know, they're kind of standoffish a little bit with him. And so they're playing poker. It's the first night. And they say, hey, Vic, you want to play poker with us? And he says, all right. And so he jumps in there and they get to this one hand. And Vic and this other kid are kind of pushing all the chips in and it's going big and all, everyone's kind of standing back. And finally, this kid plays. He's got uh, two pair, and it's high, and everyone's like, oh, you got the new leader. And Vic lays down his cards. It's a, it's a pair of aces. And everyone's like, you know, like, oh, yeah, high-fiving the kid. And it was like one of those. And then you count the cards. One, two, three, four. Wait, one card's missing. And it's, I don't know how Vic did it. Then all of a sudden, Vic throws out the fifth card. And the moment he, he literally, he flicked it in the air. And the time space continuum slowed down. <laughs> Everyone was like, no. And the card spinning, lands on the pile, third ace, the chips explode. <laughs> and these kids are like, no way. And Vic just has this smile on his face. And I'm like, you'll do just fine. He'll be great. And he was, he was an awesome leader. But th- no, this is, what, this is what James is doing in this moment. He's kind of laying this whole argument out and he's like, boom, trump card right here. Notice what he says. Intellectual faith, you think that's enough? What about the demons? He's like, let's pull everyone around. How many of the people around here believe these things about God? They believe there's one good, there's one God. Everyone raises their hand or whatever percentage. Okay, high percentage. Let me ask you this question. Let's pull the demons. How many of the demons believe there's one God? Oh, 100%. How many of the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, wow, interesting, 100%. How many of the demons uh, know that he is Lord over all things? 100%. Our country might be at 80% or whatever it admits to. The demons are at 100% in intellectual belief. And then he adds an element to it, and they shudder. This is an emotional word. This is to kind of help us see in some way that that there's more than just the intellectual idea, that there's a shuddering uh, of them. And notice what he's doing. If we were to move the table, look at the table again, what we see this is that dead faith intellect checks the box, demonic faith checks the intellect faith, but also now adds the emotional component to it as well. And of course, he is suggesting we do not think that that's enough, do we? If the demons believe and the demons even shudder, but we would all say, yeah, that's not, we wouldn't want that to have that kind of comparison in our faith. He's like, of course. Now, notice he says there's, but there is a different kind of faith that's tucked in there. And it is a living faith. It is a dynamic faith. James describes this transformed life. That there's a genuineness to faith that shows itself, okay, proves itself, authenticates itself by its actions. Now, notice what he's not saying. And notice what I'm not saying. That if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, that's all that God is looking for. That's not what he's saying. 
Certainly not what I'm saying. What he's saying is faith, when it's authentic, when it's genuine, when it's the real deal, can't help but show itself in actions, in willful and mindful, decisive work. Now, this shouldn't surprise us and it shouldn't surprise them. This is the, the scriptures were filled with this. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul uh, writes things like this in Galatians 5, that for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Okay, so it's not, don't do these, these, these things to do to make you right with God. Here's what matters. Faith expressing itself through love. Real faith demonstrates itself through love. Here's, here's probably the one passage we all look at. If you're going to look at a passage and say, how does salvation happen? Ephesians 2. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. So God made it possible. You didn't make it possible. You access this gift of grace by faith. And a lot of us say, okay, then it ends there, right? We end at verse 9 instead of reading verse 10. Verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. That, the, that real faith is going to show itself by entering into this relationship with God in which we become his masterpiece, his handiwork, where we begin to work alongside doing the good things that he has for us to do. This is real, authentic faith. Saving faith moves us into the good things that God has prepared for us. Faith is interesting because faith in and of itself is a noun. So faith means to have complete confidence or trust in something or someone. But notice what James is doing. He's making it, he's almost saying that faith is a little, it's faith, when it really is faith, it's dynamic. It's dynamic. I I love the words uh, my friend Bob was sharing about his mother-in-law in her memorial service. And he said these words about her. He had said that she taught him all these things. He said, but here's one thing that stood out to me. Think like a servant. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. You could always count on her for any participation that was needed. She, always, she would always place her focus on her work and not worry about anyone else, what they were doing or not doing. Her service was a ministry and not an obligation. Service was a blessing to her. Her focus was on serving others and not being served, her faith was indeed a verb. And when he said those words, I was like, I, I, was, I was taken back to my study on this. I thought, I love it. I love it. Because what James is saying is, yes, faith is a noun. It's complete trust. But faith, when it's really lived out, looks like a verb. It's, it's, it's active. It's acting out something we believe. We have such complete trust that we live differently as a result to it. Faith is not demonstrated by intellectual belief, but by a transformed life. There is a dynamic part to it. And so the table now takes this whole uh, uh, complete look. Dynamic faith doesn't just have the intellect. It believes the right things. It doesn't just feel, and it feels the right things. But there's a will component. We, we choose to do the right, our, our faith pushes us into the world to do something about that which we believe to be true, that which we feel and know is right and true. And again, this should not have surprised them. As, as Jewish believers, their, their heritage, they knew things like, they, knew, they, they could call back to John the Baptist. 
when John was calling for a, a baptism of repentance, remember one of the things he says is, now, now show the fruit of repentance. Meaning don't just come to me saying that you're sorry for the ways that you have uh, uh, lived against God. Don't just come in the water and, and want this be a token kind of washing. Be different. Repentance isn't just I'm sorry for it. It's, it's, a, it's a turn. It's a change. So, so let's see the fruit of a changed life. Jesus would say things like this to his disciples. If you love me, you will obey me. And then remember he said this. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is really, really challenging. So he's all these ideas. And he's talking about people who, who definitely you could probably categorize as people with strong intellectual faith. But whose life didn't match it. And he says this. By their fruit, you will recognize them. How do you know a tree is the kind of tree it is? Well, if there's apples hanging on it, pretty good indication it's an apple tree, etc. Notice what Jesus says. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, but a bad tree... Uh, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, these next words are every, these are the words that every pastor lays in bed at night, stewing over, fretting over about uh, their work as a pastor. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And my fear, is, as I know many others, I've heard the same thing, is that we think there are people in our church who one day will stand before God. They, they've come to church for a long time. They will one day stand before God. They will one day stand before Jesus. Jesus will say, I, I do not know you. And they'll say, but I went to Beach Point. And I listened to Bill for a long, long time. That's got to be good for something, Right? And I, I, I signed up for some of the things and I did some of the stuff and I text gave and I, what, uh, yeah, but I asked you to trust me and you wouldn't. And I wanted a relationship, but you weren't interested. I never, I, we, I never got to know you the way we, you were meant to know me. And so what's next is you can't be a part of. A living faith is not just about information. It's about transformation. And James is going to do something now. He's going to illustrate his point. And there's three pictures that, that we, we notice in here. And in these three pictures, we see this, that a living faith shows itself through love of God and love of others. It's going to show itself. It's going to demonstrate the genuineness in the way that we love God and the way that we love others. A, a genuine faith demonstrates itself in a genuine love for others. Now notice he, he's given this illustration in this, and he says it this way. Look, there's people, brothers and sisters, open your eyes. Right around you, people in our midst don't have food, don't have clothing. 
And they're, they're with you. They're your brothers and sisters. They're part, of our, they're, they're part of the church. And your response is, oh, we should pray for you. God be with you. God bless you in this. And what's James' response to this? Come on. Seriously? This is who we're going to be? This is what we're going to say? I mean, you catch almost the sarcastic tone a little bit like, really? Really? This is who we're going to be? This is what we're going to say? Someone's going to say? Someone doesn't have the basic necessities to survive the day, and we're going to say, peace be with you? God's blessing be on you? Friends, you know that that's not our faith. That's not what real faith looks like. And then he does this, and he, said, he gives two examples to kind of further his point to help see that, look, real faith demonstrates itself by this loving trust of God and this, this love for other people. Notice what he says then. He says, verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, so notice again that a living faith demonstrates itself with this real trust of God, this loving trust of God. He picks Abraham. He says, look, Abraham, he's our guy. Abraham's our jam. You guys know it, right? Think about Abraham. Remember, we're told that, that he trusted God, that, that, that made him right with God. But do you remember how he demonstrated that he trusted God? He demonstrated it by that moment when he took his son. And this is kind of interesting because he's referring to two moments in Genesis. One in chapter 15. He's promised a son. He believes it. He's following. He's trusting. It hasn't happened. But then it happens. And then God asks this kind of what seems like a very unimaginable ask. Take your son. His son's now about 13. He's, he's waited his whole life, 100 years, to have a, a child. And now this child's going to be the heir of everything. And they're going to get to be the, the, the you know, he's going to start a nation through this child. I want you to take your son, go up the, the hill, go up to Mount Moriah. It's a three-day journey. When you get to the top, you're going to offer a sacrifice, except this time it's different. Instead of a lamb, you're going to offer your son. And so this whole way, he's got to think about this and prepare to do this. And he's saying, do you see how as Abraham in faith and trust went and did this, it demonstrated his faith. Now, it's interesting because the more we listen to Abraham, we realize there, is, there are hints along the way that Abraham knew that what God was asking of him, that it wasn't going to end that way. It wasn't going to end in his son's death, ultimately. He didn't know how, he didn't know. But remember, he comes to that point, he's going to go up the mountain, the servants, and he says, we are going to go up, and when we're done, we will return. He uses this plural language. 
In Hebrews, it says that, that Abraham demonstrated his faith. He didn't know how God was going to do it. Even if God was going to raise Isaac from the dead, he just knew. When Isaac said to his dad, we need a sacrifice, he said, God will provide. And so it's all, there's something happening there, but all of this, and he said, so notice what James is doing. Don't you recall, Abraham ultimately demonstrated his faith because he lived in obedience to God. He trusted God. And he did what God wanted him to do. Let me ask you this question. Are you ready to place on the altar that which God might ask of you? The unthinkable thing. Your career. Your security. Your future a relationship, your sexual life. Are you ready to place that there in faith saying, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you. I trust you. When we say we trust him and we demonstrate like Abraham, we, we in essence, we, we show how genuine, in essence, our faith is, our love for him is. Something, something happened in my faith. I don't know how to describe it, but there, an understanding happened somewhere along the road. Uh, and I, somewhere in, probably in the last 10 years. And here it was. It was a tweak on something. Uh, the idea in some way of obedience, you just got to do it. Just do it. Do it. It's the right thing to do. And you do it or you're in trouble. But there's a way of listening to the scriptures and a way of seeing obedience, not just as do it or you're in trouble, to seeing it as do it if you want to experience the life that he has for you. We sang this song in the first service. Uh, it's a, a, a simple chorus. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And it sounds like, oh man, it sounds like you're kind of mocking me if I don't do it. But if you sit there and think, but here's actually the real truth, that it is in obedience that we actually unlock the code of, of, of experiencing the fullness of the life that God has for us. Jesus is always, always, always inviting you into life. And so when he asks you to lay something down or to take something up, it's because he knows it's life-giving to you. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, and unless you do, you can't come, he's not forbidding it. He's just telling you how it works. It won't work. You can't come with me without grabbing a cross. It's the only way this life with me will really work. You'll never, and if you're trying to do this life where you kind of partially obey, you're one foot in and one foot out, you're going to be the most miserable Christian. It doesn't work. It doesn't work living one foot in and one foot out. And Jesus says, you got to trust me, trust me, have faith. And by faith, don't just say, yeah, I believe you. Then why aren't you coming with me? I'm through the door and I'm like, where did he go? And I have to open the door back. I'm like, where did you go? I'm like, no, I believe it. I believe it. I'm with you. It can't be just intellectual. It can't just be emotional. It has to be willful, decisive. We have to come with him. And he gives the, the example of Rahab as well. She hid the spies. 
Same thing. She believed something to be true, and so she acted on this. This week, Kimberly and I celebrated 26 years of being married together, and it was interesting. Well, now I hope, I hope I've demonstrated to you that we have a loving, I've demonstrated to you a loving relationship. Uh, now imagine this. Imagine after the service, I'm out on the patio, and someone comes up to me and says, Bill, I too have been married over 20 years. I'm like, oh, that's fabulous. Can I, can I meet your spouse? Uh, no, I haven't seen that person for, since the, the wedding day. That seems awfully strange. I don't think you understand what marriage is. I don't think you understand what a, living, a, a loving relationship is. No, of course I do. Look, I have photos from the wedding day. I have a ring. I have a marriage certificate. It was a powerful day. Yeah, but that's not what marriage is. And see what James is kind of getting at it for us? He's challenging us. Faith, action, it, it, it can't be separate. They're inseparable. I think this world is suffering in part because we have people who say they're Christians but won't live like Christians. Can't we be different? I mean, I can't, I, I can't do anything except for challenge this group right here, Beach Point. Can't Beach Point be different? Can't our life, our faith, our claims, can't they match up? So let me ask you this question. How can our faith, how can your faith be seen as genuine, be seen as dynamic, be seen as living in our community? Tony Campolo is a speaker and author, and he was uh, asked to speak at a banquet at this uh, organization. And uh, at, after he was done speaking, they, they read this letter from a missionary. The missionary had a, had a financial need for a project. It was about $4,000 uh, worth of need. And, the, and the, the host of the event said, Mr. Campolo, will you pray for God's blessing for this missionary and this, and this need that this missionary has? And he said, no. No, I won't, but here's what I will do. I'll reach into my pocket, and whatever cash I have, I'll put here on the table, and I challenge you all to do the same. And she said, we get your point. That's a wonderful point. He goes, I'm not making a point. And he reached in, he pulled out his wallet, he put his cash on the table, and then reluctantly, 300 people got up, took whatever they had in their pockets, they put it up on the table, they counted it all, it was over $4,000, Lo and behold, a miracle. God had provided. And there's a simple way sometimes of us thinking, this is kind of what James pushing. Look, there's opportunities for us to be a blessing. And instead of just letting things go, let's, let's match it up. You have a, an, an 8 to 15. You have people in your life that you do life with. We pray, we're going to pray a blessing on you in a few minutes to go back into the world and be a blessing. What if... What if this week you, you went with anticipation that as God led you into their lives or you felt prompted into their lives, you went believing God was already at work and that your blessing wasn't just in word, but action. Could you ramp it up a little this week? What would happen if you by faith just said, all right, I want to be ready. What if your life groups had this kind of dynamic part to it 
that when people were in need, like we see in this, this story, that we, we wouldn't be looking for someone else to provide, but we'd be the kind of people who say, is there something we can do? What can we do? We don't want to just say, oh, that's, that's tough. Let's pray. Let's add that to our prayer list. But let's ask, let's, before we put it on the, let's put it on the prayer list, certainly. But let's go, wait, is there anything, let's take a second. Is there anything we should do together? Is there any way for us to live out our faith with each other? I mean, I, what I love is the stories when I find out there was some issue, someone was in trouble, and the fact that it never got to me, that the life group just figured out how to handle it. To me, it's like, it's, that's when it's working. That's when the church is being the church and the people are being the people. My friend Kara says it this way. She says, our loving deeds should be a living thank you note to God. This, I'm not asking you to do these things to earn your salvation or to prove your salvation. I'm just saying that when grace overtakes your heart the way it should, and the goodness of God, the greatness of God overtakes you, it's not just mind and heart. It's just there's a decisiveness to say, how do I not live this kind of life of faith and trust and love for you. And James is saying, isn't that what we are? Isn't that what we believe? And so let's take a moment. Let's pray. So let me ask you this. Think back to, is, is there a way God is challenging you for there to be a genuineness to your faith? Is he pushing on something? He's promising, hey, this is an area then let's work on together. Some of you, maybe though, right in this moment, you want to move past intellectual faith, past even emotional faith, to the real deal. So as I pray, if your desire is really to trust Jesus with your life, to follow him, to surrender to him, you'll see sometimes our people, as they sing, they raise their hands. It's kind of the universal sign of surrender. And there's sometimes in which we praise God, but in some sense we're saying to God, I, I have surrendered everything to your goodness and greatness. And so let's pray together. If this is what you want, join me. And so if you, if you want to begin a life of faith, uh, maybe something like this will help. And you can pray this on your own. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for, for dying for me, for making my salvation possible. I know I can't save myself. I believe these things to be true, that you are the son of God. I believe that, uh, as best I understand it, that you've died for me, that you've risen, you're alive. And I want to have a life with you. I want to place my faith in you. I want to I live, not just with, the knowledge that you have forgiven me, but I want to live a life of faith with you. That's my commitment today. And so hear my heart. And Lord, for all of us, we, we, we just realize we want to have authentic faith. We want to be genuine. And we realize there are parts of our life that we just are challenged by this passage to say, boy, our faith what we say we believe in our actions just aren't matching up right now. Forgive us, Lord. And as you point these things out, let us uh, feel not only your forgiveness, but also just feel your grace that you are in the, in the business of transforming us.
And so bring to mind in these, these next seconds just things that you want to work on with us because you love us and you want us to be the best versions of ourselves that, you, uh, that resemble you. So take a moment to pray. In just a moment, we'll, we'll continue to sing.